Hey, Cornerstone. So real quick, big shout out to Santan, to Scottsdale, man, just so glad you guys are part of this, the five o'clock service. Everybody is watching this online. It's just cool to have you be part of the body and part of what God's doing in this place right now. Uh, we're in a series called Weird, and here's, here's kind of uh, how we got there, is that we looked at people who were living life normal and were doing things like everybody else was doing, who were living life the way their neighbors live life or maybe the way they saw their parents live life, and we said, we're not too sure we're excited about the outcomes. I mean, where that's getting people isn't really where people intended to go in the first place. It's kind of disappointing uh, when you live your life like everybody else is living their life. And so we said, what if we miss something along the way? What if getting off the well-beaten path and being a little bit different than anyone, everyone else might bring a little bit different result? So what we've done the last few weeks is go back to some of the weirdest things that Jesus said and said, look, you know, first time through, we kind of blew past this. First time through, we thought, hey, that's just so far off the beaten path. I'm not sure how to incorporate that in my life. And we're reconsidering, re-looking at it. And this time through saying, maybe weird works. Maybe weird is where we should have been all along. And we've been having that conversation. If you were here last week, uh, we had a conversation about time. And we said, look, normal people just live life at a frenetic pace. I mean, they're going and going and going and going and going. They get to the end of the day and they've never gotten everything done. And they're completely overwhelmed. And they get up the next day and they do it again. And they're never, no one's getting anywhere. But we're going super fast. And so we said, hey, maybe, maybe that's not the right way to go at it. Maybe, maybe we should start managing our time and stop allowing our time to manage us. And someone came up with this incredible idea of having a technology fast. Uh, this idea was that, that one of the places that we just lose a ton of our time, it just leaks out of our lives, is all around technology. And so the question was, hey, what if we turned off our televisions for a week? What if we didn't get on Facebook or Twitter for a week? And, and what if we just had a technology fast? Maybe we'd discover tons and tons and tons of time that we didn't know that we had. And here's what I got to say. Whoever came up with that idea was a dimwit. I'm just, I'm just by Tuesday night, man, I was like bored out of my mind. Tuesday, by Tuesday night, I'm going, I don't need to do this. I already manage my time. Yeah, but I, 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 I stuck, I, I joined it. I stuck, I stuck with it because I, I was the dimwit. So uh, I stuck with it. Uh, it's interesting, on Sunday night, Sunday night, so now we're talking less than six hours from the original challenge to do it, I have a wife who Facebooks me, okay? Now, you're not supposed to be on Facebook, right? And the only, I'm just going to say, the only reason I know that, someone asked, the only reason I know that is because it came up on my computer screen, but I didn't go on uh, Facebook. So, uh, but anyways, here's what she Facebooked me. She said, Lynn, please call my husband. He hasn't been watching TV for the last six hours, and he is driving me crazy. So here's the deal. How many of you made it through? How many of you made it through a week? You did it. All right, kudos to you. Golf clap from all the rest of us who didn't do it. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Stupid. All right, but uh, I got a feeling we still made a point. Because everybody, I guarantee you, who was able to navigate a week and, and, and turn on, I guarantee you, you sat there and said, man, 
I really am bored. I mean, there really is a ton of margin. There's a ton of time that I, I have twittered away, pardon the pun, I have, it, and just didn't realize it. And so those excuses that say, hey, I don't have time to serve, and I don't have time to be in a growth venue, that's not real. And I guarantee that even the ones in the room who said, Lynn, I couldn't make it that week and I didn't do it, part of that is, is that you and I acknowledge the fact that, man, I, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty attached to this, and, and I get it. I get the point. I, I, I give a heck of a lot of time, an awful lot of attention, and if I was really setting priorities in my life, I could find time to grow. I could find another hour to be in part of a growing community. I, I could serve. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Uncle. Okay? So all I'm going to ask you to do out of that experience, out of that moment, is just to say, hey, are, are you going to begin to manage your time? Or are you going to allow your time to continue to manage you? And would you think about doing something weird? Would you think about carving some of your time to do some things that Jesus said were critically important to your life? And that's to be serving, and that's to be in a growth venue in your life. Would you, would you just consider the possibility with your time. If you were here a couple weeks ago when we started this series, you remember the first conversation that we had was this incredibly weird statement that Jesus made, which was simply this, if you want to find life, you have to die, which was just kind of bizarre, but what Jesus was saying was, hey, look, 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 you're going to have to die to your old way of thinking. You're going to have to die to the old behaviors, the old things you used to do, because those things actually bring regret and death and, and remorse in your life. You won't find life doing what everybody's doing, and instead, you need to now die to the old way of living and come live for me. Let me be Lord of your life. Let me be in charge of your life. And in that moment, you will find life. And if you remember, if you're here, uh, we, we talked about this idea that said most people kind of navigate life this way, that, that for most, ordinary is you're in charge. You're the most important one. It's all about you. And then Jesus kind of comes in some sort of a distant second. If you're a Christian, you'd, you'd say, hey, you know, no, and you know, Jesus has affected me and my life is different, but I've I got to be honest. It's kind of a, you know, an afterthought. And then uh, this whole idea of others. And, and we'd say, you know, I, I, I know I need to care about others. I need to be concerned about others. But this would be the order. And what Jesus challenged us was to say, the order has got to flip on its head. That Jesus needed to be first. Others needed to be second. And you and I needed to be third. And then in that moment, in that transition that weird new way of thinking that all of a sudden you and I would find remarkable joy. Here's uh, what I think you and I have to go after today. I think most of us have a pretty good idea of what it means to say, hey, look, I get it. I'm going to let Jesus be Lord. I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow him and everything. I haven't landed that necessarily, but I understand the idea. The one that's most confusing for me is this others more important than me thing. I mean, what, how, how would that actually flesh out in my life if I was to decide that others were going to take a higher priority in my life than even my own self-concern and my own selfishness? I mean, does that mean the next time I'm going off an off-ramp and the guy's standing there with the cardboard sign that I pull over and give him a buck? Is that, is that what it is? Does it mean I adopt one of the kids in Haruma and start supporting the orphanage? Is that, is that what it is? And what you and I are going to discover today 
is that this putting others in front of ourselves has a lot more to do with the community of the church and how Christians treat other Christians within the body of Christ. Matter of fact, we're going to coin a brand new phrase today called othering. It's that moment in which I put others above myself and I other them, okay? Because the Scripture is replete. The Scripture is full of moments in which it says, this is what you should do for one another. This is what you should do for other believers in your life. It's othering. And you and I are going to explore that today. Matter of fact, let me read you a passage real quickly. You don't need to go there. Part of why I'm not making you go there right now is because I'm going to make you open your Bibles a whole bunch today, and I don't want your thumbs to fall off. So I'll read this one for you, uh, and, and then uh, we're going to just dive into what would it look like to start othering one another. But here's it. This will be a jumping off spot for you and me. It's Romans chapter 12. It's verse 10, and uh, here, here's what it says about this whole idea of othering. Be devoted... Be absolutely sold out, committed, devoted. Be devoted to one another. In love, honor one another above yourselves. Now, now let me put that into modern day English. What's the Bible trying to say? The Bible is simply saying this. Leave no man behind. That Christianity is a team sport. And how we flesh this out is all about how we do community and how we treat each other and how we behave with each other. And the primary motto is simply this, leave no one behind. How many saw the movie Black Hawk Down? Oh, good, about six of us. Okay, this is going to resonate. You guys are going to get this so quick. All right, so let me fill in the gaps for a couple of us in the room. All right, so here's the deal. Black Hawk Down is a movie that is, is I, I think reasonably accurate to true life events. It's about a moment in Somalia where we were kind of policing the area at the time. Rebel insurgents were going crazy, trying to overthrow the government. Uh, We were trying to hold them back. Uh, As we were there on kind of that police uh, mission, one of our helicopters, a Black Hawk, uh, ends up shot down. As it comes down, it comes down right in the center of a small village. So now that small helicopter crew, I think about six guys, are now either wounded or dead because of the helicopter crash, but they are absolutely surrounded by hundreds of insurgents, hundreds of rebels carrying machine guns. Now it's left to all of their comrades in arms, all of their fellow soldiers to go, what do we do? Because the reality is uh, they're trapped, they're under heavy fire from all of these rebels. The reality is, I mean, if you just want to be practical about it, the reality is they've got a matter of hours at best to live, and then they're done. But the motto is, leave no man behind. And so their brothers in uniform went to rescue them, not even knowing if any of them were still alive yet, and knowing that it would probably mean more deaths to go rescue them than the six men on the helicopter who would potentially die because, because, because. Leave no man behind. Guess where that motto started? The church. And the very culture, the very heart of this thing we do as we follow Jesus together is leave no man behind. It is the quintessential othering 
mantra. And so here's what I'm going to do. If you were to go to the Bible and you were to look and you were just to type in, you know, a lot of you have Bible apps and you can do a word search. And, and if you were just to type in and say, hey, how many times in the New Testament does this say other or one another? You would be, you'd get all sorts of passages. Because this is not a small theme in the Bible. This is a critical, pivotal theme in Scripture that you and I are to be about othering one another, about caring about, investing in, helping one another. That this is the critical way in which you and I just even show the reality of our faith in Jesus is how we treat one another. But I've got three. I just I grabbed three at random to say, I think these three begin to push us in the right direction. Okay, so I want us to unpack that. That's why we're going to open our Bibles multiple times, because we're going to unpack these three ways in which you and I need to be othering one another. So here we go. Othering number one. Othering is about carrying. So grab your Bibles. It's Galatians chapter 6, and now you're going to go. Galatians chapter 6. And again, guys, let me encourage you. You want to have your Bible. I don't care if it's, you know, a Bible on your phone or app. You want your Bible. You want to be sure that this is what God says and not what Lynn says. But it's Galatians chapter 6. Go to the back of your Bible, start working to the left. Galatians chapter 6. If you get all the way up to the Gospels, you're going to go back. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 2. And othering is about carrying. Okay, here we go. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Here's what it says. Carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? When Jesus was here on earth, think about this. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He, he, he is God. And yet, in his entire time on earth, he spends his life othering, caring about the needs of others around him and not about himself first. He is the perfect model of what you and I are talking about today. And when Jesus leaves this earth, his disciples begin to think and say, how weird was that? Because every human king that we know is all about status, is all about getting honor for themselves, and yet honor, Jesus gave honor to others. It's all about being devoted to them, and instead Jesus was devoted to us. And they said, if you really want to look like Jesus, then you better be great at othering. And one of the primary ways in which you do it is carry one another's burdens. Now, look, look, look. This is not about enabling. This is not about somebody who makes really, really bad decisions and then other Christians bail them out of being stupid. Uh, this, is, this, this is not about somebody did something wrong and now there's consequences in their life and suddenly you and I remove the consequences. Matter of fact, parents, I'm just going to say out loud to you, one of the worst things you can do in parenting is rescue your children. Because when the moment you do that, you actually handicap them because they don't learn how to navigate life on their own to Matter of fact, if you look 
in Galatians right there and just hop down to verse five real quick. Here's what it says. For each one shall carry their own load. So this isn't, this isn't Christian welfare. This isn't, this isn't Christians mitigating each other's bad decisions because scripture says, hey, look, everyone has to do their fair share. Everybody should do their part. And if you've gotten yourself in hot water because you've dated somebody you never should have dated or you've spent money that you never should have spent, then the reality is that's your own load. That, that's, that's something that you brought on yourself. That's not what Scripture's talking about here. You get to figure how to dig out of that hole on your own. Here's what Scripture's talking about. Sometimes, sometimes life just blows up. Sometimes what we get asked to carry, what someone has to have as a burden is completely unfair. It's a single mom who would say to you and me, look, this was never my plan. And I fought and I fought to keep my marriage together, but despite my best efforts. And so here I am, and now I'm raising a couple kids by myself, and I'm just telling you it's hard. It's going to the doctor, and all of a sudden you get a horrible diagnosis. It's having a teenage child in rebellion, and you've done your best to parent, you've done your best to point them towards Jesus, but you get there's a thing called free will, and now they're off and they're going crazy, and you are heart sick. It's getting laid off from a job. And it has nothing to do with performance, it has everything to do with an economy. And suddenly, you're carrying a burden. And Scripture says... In that moment, when you and I see a brother or sister in Christ carrying a burden that it is incumbent upon us to go and help ease that burden, to come alongside and say, look, you don't have to navigate this by yourself, you don't have to do this alone, and we other each other. How many of you saw the movie Lord of the Rings? Okay, this will be a little bit better. A few more have seen it. Uh, ladies, don't get too freaked out. I know it's a total guys movie thing. You'll, you'll catch this. It'll be all right. So in the movie Lord of the Rings, here's the kind of the premise uh, throughout all three of the movies. There's a ring, and this ring has incredible power, so everybody wants it. The problem with the ring is this, that the moment you put it on, it begins to reveal your dark side. It immediately pushes you to the most corrupted parts of your heart, and so therefore, it is incredibly dangerous. So, the premise of the movie is simply this, the ring must be destroyed. And so, they've got to get the ring to this lake of fire where it was originally forged and melt uh, it down. And so, the task comes upon a hobbit, little short guy, big feet, hairy, a little hobbit by the name of Frodo. Here's why Hobbit gets the assignment. I mean, Frodo. Because he is a hobbit, and hobbits are less susceptible to the corruption. And then Frodo in particular, because Frodo is pure of heart. So he's the world's best chance. But now he's been given the burden of the ring. You go through all the movies, it's all about Frodo getting the ring to its final destination, the lake of fire. In the final movie, Frodo is within a couple hundred yards of making it. The problem is the closer he gets, the harder the burden. And so now you watch as he takes a step forward and then he stumbles to the ground. 
And with all of his might, he gets back up and takes a step or two more, and he falls again. And it becomes obvious he's not going to make it. His companion, Sam, says to Frodo, give me the ring. To which Frodo answers, I can't. I can't. It's my burden to carry. And Sam says, no, no, Frodo, you've brought it this far. You've done such an amazing job. I can take it the last couple hundred yards. And Frodo says, no, it'll ruin you. And so he fights to his feet again, and he takes a step or two more, and he collapses on the ground. And again, Sam says, give me the ring. I'll do it. I'll take it. And Frodo says, I can't. It's my burden to carry. And he struggles to his feet again, and he takes another step or two, and he falls down. And in that moment, Sam does something extraordinary. He bends down, picks up Frodo, puts him on his shoulders, and here's what he says. I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. You get that everything you needed to know about Jesus was in Lord of the Rings. No, I'm just, no, teasing. But you get the moment. You get the moment. That there's going to be moments in which you and I are going to see Christian brothers and sisters struggling under the burden of whatever that is that has come in life. And it may even be that in that moment that, that you and I can't fix the thing. You and I can't change the thing. It's not about money or it's not maybe about time. And that you and I just simply have to say, look, I, I, can't, I can't take the burden away, but I can carry you. I, I can lift your heart. I can give you a shoulder to lean on. I can walk the darkest moments of your life, and you can lean into my strength because I'm not having to carry the same burden. See, part of Christianity, ready? Part of othering is carrying one another's burden. So here's my question to you. What burden are you carrying for someone else? And I'm not talking about your immediate family. I'm talking about one of your brothers and sisters. What burden are you carrying if othering is the way in which we best represent Jesus Christ? Othering, othering isn't just about carrying one another's burdens. Othering is about prodding each other on, about spurring each other on. So grab your Bibles again. It's Hebrews chapter 10. Go to the back of your Bible, work to the left. And again, guys, you're going to want to see this. It's absolutely critical for our Christian lives. It's Hebrews chapter 10. It's verse 24. Here's what it says. And let us consider. So, so stop for a minute. Think about this. I mean, put, invest some thought into this. Consider it. Plan it. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So let, let's, let's figure out how we can prod other Christians into doing what they need to do in their Christian walk. Now, here's the deal. When you and I hear that word spur, you and I immediately think Western spur, so something you put on your boots and, and tie on and, you know, you kick the horse a little. Probably not the picture that's being done in Scripture because probably 
not westernized spurs at the time. It's probably, you ready for this? It's probably more of a goad. How cool is that? Goad your brother in Jesus' name. So let me, let, me, let me tell you where this comes from. It's actually a farmer's implement. And so what would happen, you'd have, you'd have some oxen that were plowing the field, and inevitably you'd have one of the oxen that was a little bit uh, lazier than the other ox, maybe a little more self-willed than the other ox. And how the farmer would kind of keep uh, them going together in the right direction is that when the one would begin to slow down or act up a little bit, he'd take his goad and he'd just right in the heel, twitch, ah, and you'd get the ox back in. Isn't it interesting? Scripture says, let us think about, let us spend some real thought in how we can goad our fellow Christians. You get that we're probably not talking sticks here, right? You get that that goading moment, that spurring on moment is probably a hard conversation. It's probably mustering the courage to say to somebody who we've seen and we go, man, if they keep going that way, they're just going to run their life off a cliff. Man, if they keep doing that, they're going to open themselves up to all sorts of unneeded temptation. Man, if they keep flirting, their marriage is going to implode. If they keep spending the way they're spending, then they're going to be so upside down. It's, pro- it's probably saying the thing that they don't want to hear and you and I are terrified to utter. But that if I really, really love them, I have to say. Even if it means losing their friendship. Even if it means they're frustrated with me. Because, you ready for this? You and I are their best hope not to fail. And so we goad them. We say the thing that's going to wound the heart, be a little bit hurtful, in hopes of the rescue. So, uh, several years back, uh, there was a young man on our staff, and and I'm not going to tell you his name because I don't have permission to tell you his name, but here's what I'm just going to say out loud. If I told you his name, the vast majority of us, you'd immediately know him. You'd know him. Great guy. And uh, this particular young man hadn't done a whole lot of dating. Uh, And then all of a sudden he was dating uh, a young lady. And it was interesting because it went super, super fast and got super, super serious, super, super quick. The tough part about it was the girl he was dating didn't like him. She was ready to marry him she just didn't like him. And a matter of fact, it became very, very obvious that she was trying to fix him. She was going to change everything about our friend. And the irony of it was, is the very things that she didn't like about him is what everybody who loved him loved about him. And she was going to change it all. And I'm just telling you, everybody knew. Everybody, everybody seen it come just went, this is disaster. The worst possible thing that could happen out of this is that he doesn't wake up, they get married, and now six months into the marriage, he goes, oh my goodness, what have I done? 
And so it was interesting because I'm the pastor, so I'd have people come to me and they'd say, hey, uh, what do you think? And I'd go, I, I think it's kind of tough. And they'd say, oh, oh, everybody agrees. And then here's the question I'd ask, have you said anything to him? Anybody want to guess what the answer was? Well, no. He doesn't want to hear that. I mean, he might not be my friend if I said that to him. And I'd say, well, yeah, but here's the deal. You're closer to him than I am. He'd be much more likely to hear that from you, even than from me, even though I'm his pastor, because you're in such better relationship with him. Oh, I could never say that. And over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, not one person had the courage to say what needed to be said in the moment. And finally, I thought, to, I thought you know what? This guy's going to run his life off the track. I better go say something. I'm going to look like the old man. I'm going to look like the grumpy dad coming in. But I better, I better risk it. I better say something for his sake. And so I did. I, I took him out to coffee and I just said, hey, um, I, I just have to speak a word to you honestly and just say to you that this relationship just looks so unhealthy. It, it doesn't look like this young lady likes anything about you. And that, and that you are becoming a totally different person trying to make her happy, but the truth is the person you're becoming is not a very good person. Anybody want to guess how I received that? And he was, he was, he was a little bit frustrated with me. And, And, and so before we left, I, I said to him, I said, look, here, here's the, I, I get it, I get it. You, you, you don't understand this right now, but the only reason I said this to you is because I love you. I mean, I love you and I don't want to see this happen. Do me a favor. Go to four people who know you and know her and just ask them, is this healthy? Is this a good, would you endorse this relationship? Four people who know you, know her, and love you. And, and can I just say out loud, if you're in this room and you're single today, and your friends are saying to you, this is unhealthy. Praise God for friends who love you enough to say something. Before you get all defensive and, and, and get that much more invested, you need to do a double think. And so praise God, he had the courage, he had the, he had the integrity, he went and asked four people, hey, what, you love me, you know her, you know me, what do you think? And every single person said to him, this is unhealthy. And he broke up. He broke up. Here's the cool part of the story, I wish I could tell you the names, because if I could tell you the names, you'd go, oh my goodness. He ended up meeting the girl who would become his wife about six months later. He would have never met her if he was still dating the first girl. And now when you see him and her together, you go, that's the perfect couple. They're amazing. And if you would have thought in your heart or mind that they would have missed each other, it would make you sick at your stomach because they're that good together. See, guys, I'm just going to say to you, sometimes the most loving thing you do when you know is a little bit of goading. It's, it's saying the right thing at the right time in order to rescue a life. And if you'll think about it, guys, I, I can almost promise you, I will bet you that almost every one of us in this room has a moment where someone said something to us that at the time they said it, it frustrated us and made us a little bit angry. And we look back now and say that was the best thing 
anybody ever said to me. It changed my life. Othering is about spurring one another on to good works. Now, look, 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 here's the deal. Some of us in this room have got to stop being passive. Some of us in this room have got to muster up some courage and say, I, I have, I've seen it, I know it, I need to buy a cup of coffee, I need to go do it. Your issue is mustering the courage. Some of us in this room don't need any courage because you're giving your opinion on everything. <laughs> and the truth is you're just a jerk. Can I just say you're a jerk, okay? And, and the truth is, if you keep doing that, you're not prodding anybody, you're just annoying everybody. And, and you sound like the Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 and people are just gonna turn you off. And what you need to do is shut up a little bit and realize that it's saying the right words, not being right, saying the right words in the right moment, the right way. And when you do that, it's incredibly powerful. And it is, ready, 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 it is incredibly othering. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time you loved somebody enough to have the hard talk? How many people out there would say, look, they said things to me I didn't want to hear, but it was what I needed to hear. And they saved me from a ton of pain. When's the last time you spurred a Christian brother or sister? Because you loved him enough to risk the friendship. Othering, othering is not just about caring and it's not just about spurring and having the hard conversation. Othering is about instructing. It's about taking whatever God's done in my life and sharing that freely with Christians who are coming behind me. It's being willing to take the lessons I've learned and help other people learn them without the pain that it took for me to learn it. It's about instructing. So grab your Bibles one last time. Here we go. It's Romans chapter 15. Again, go to the back, work to the left. Romans chapter 15. It's verse 14. And watch this. It's an incredible passage on othering. You ready? Romans 15, verse 14. Here's what it's the Apostle Paul writing. Here's what he says. I myself, so Paul is saying this, I myself am absolutely convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent, competent to instruct one another. See, you ought to be othering by instructing, by helping one another with what you've already learned. Here's the interesting thing. I think it's interesting that Paul has to say to them, guys, 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 you're ready for this. You could do this. Because here's my best guess. My best guess is these Christians are feeling exactly like you and I feel when someone says, hey, instruct another Christian. Help someone else grow up. And you and I want to go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know my Bible well enough. I, I don't think I'm mature enough. You know what? I got a couple places in my life and they don't look completely like Jesus. Someone will think I'm a hypocrite. And Paul says, guys, 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 you're ready enough. You're ready enough. Because here's the deal. Look, look, look. Here's what it means to be ready. You simply have to know something that the person behind you doesn't know yet. You have to have learned something about Jesus that the Christian behind you hasn't learned yet. And then freely share whatever Jesus has done in your life with them so they can catch up with you. 
And Paul says, you're ready. You should, if you really cared about them, you wouldn't leave them stumbling through the darkness with the lack of knowledge that you've already attained. I've got a friend. Uh, he lives in Yucaipa, California. Anybody know where Yucaipa, California is? Okay, good. All right, so for the rest of you, Yucaipa, California, you head out the 10, you get out to the middle of the desert, there's a sign that says, Yucaipa, California, you will say to yourself, why does anybody live here? That's Yucaipa, California. So Yucaipa, California, uh, dear friend, his name is Mike Gillespie. Mike Gillespie is absolutely rabid about bicycling, but he likes that all-terrain type of bicycling, you know, go over boulders and hills and crash into trees, that type of bicycling. Here's the interesting thing about it. Mike, although he's been bicycling for years and years and years, knows bicycling like the back of his hand, probably now because he's getting a little older, isn't the best bicycler you know, out there because there's younger, stronger young men, but he's out there every single uh, weekend. And actually, when you get to the Yucaipa area, there's kind of one place where all the bicyclers go, and then you can go on a long trail, you can go on a short trail, and so they all kind of congregate down at the base, and then they all take off. It's interesting because if you go there on any given Saturday and you watch Mike Gillespie, here's what he does. He spends the get ready time watching other bikers. And here's what he's looking for. He's looking for beginners. Now beginners are really easy to spot because their biking shorts are on backwards. <laughs> uh, they're fighting against their equipment as they try to get you know, on the bike and ready. And the minute Mike uh, spots a beginning biker, uh, he immediately holds back and he just begins to go down the trail kind of in proximity to them. And inevitably, here's what happens. Uh, they start up a hill and they're in the wrong gear, which makes it horribly hard to get up the hill. Uh, they start down a really steep incline and there's huge boulders in the trail and they take the boulder at the wrong angle and bam, and they're flipping off their bike and getting skinned up and knocked around. And after all this happens a couple times, here's what Mike says. Would you like some help? And nearly every time, guess what they say? Please, please. And so Mike spends the rest of the day instructing, saying, hey, look, here's the deal. If, when you head up that hill, if you would just go to this gear, it makes that hill so much easier. You, you'll get to the top, no sweat. When, when you're going down an incline that, you're going to take a boulder, you've got to take it at this angle. You take it at this angle, you'll be up, you'll be over, you won't even hardly know it was there. It's going to be a cinch. And suddenly, these beginning bikers are having a remarkable time. And they're learning so much in that one day with Mike Gillespie. Here's why Mike does it. Because he knows. You leave a beginning biker on their own, that experience is going to be so miserable. Chances are they'll never come back. If you go to Yucaipa, California right now, there's an inordinate number of people who do biking. <laughs> and a big part of that is a guy by the name of Mike Gillespie who's hung back and helped to teach new bikers. Here's why that's critical. In this room, we've got baby Christians. We've got medium-level Christians that are behind you. And you leave them to themselves. You ask them to do this on their own. And it's going to get hard enough and frustrating enough and miserable enough that in a year from now, they won't be in the room anymore because they're struggling to learn and to understand what this following Jesus thing is like and what it takes, and they don't know what you already know. It's why if you really, really loved them, you'd hang back and say, would you like some help? 
could I share with you? A few things that Jesus has done in my life and some things that I've learned in following him that's going to make going over those bumps and going to make going up those hills an awful lot easier for you. And if you and I would simply do that, their Christian lives would explode. They'd have so much more. They might even become lifelong followers of Christ because you and I instructed. So let me ask you a question. Who is it? Who is it that would say, my life in Christ is absolutely better because that person is in the room helping me? Now, guys, here's, here's the deal. Here's my guess. Some of us have seen other Christians struggling, and we've seen them having a hard time. And this very conversation about othering has to change our response because you get that if you and I see a brother or sister in Christ struggling, and if you and I decide to ignore it, if we decide that this following Jesus is a solo sport and we refuse to other one another and you simply carry on following Jesus in your own way, you get that that is incredibly unloving. Matter of fact, if I remember right, it's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he gave us the story of the Good Samaritan. Deeply religious people were too busy being religious to help the guy who was hurting. They did no othering. Can I suggest to you that there's an equally unloving stance? And that's if you and I are so unconnected to the church and so unconnected to the body of Christ that you and I don't even know if one of our brothers or sisters is struggling. That you and I come in here on a Sunday morning, we listen to a sermon and then we run back out to our car and take off and you would say, hey Lynn, here's the deal, I'm not walking by anybody because I don't even know what their struggles are. I have no idea what's going on in their lives. Isn't that equally as uncaring and I'm just going to say to you that for you and I to flesh out this walk with Jesus Christ for you and I to begin to other we have to live in community we have to live in a way that our lives rub up against the lives of fellow Christians which is why you've got to be part of a small group you've got to be part of a small church or you gotta make it to the mine, or you've gotta make it to a women's study or a men's study, because in those places we begin to find community and our lives begin to rub against each other and we have the opportunity to other. And so here's what I'm asking today. I'm asking that we resolve. I'm asking that we resolve to stop doing Jesus as a solo sport that we commit ourselves to leaving no man behind. But it means you and I are gonna have to get out of the purple chairs and into community. And guys, we might just find that in the midst of it, that others are othering us. And it'd be a good day for the church. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, (laughs) this is weird. This, this just goes against 
what seems convenient or easy. And yet it's an awful lot like how you lived your life. And so God, I'm just going to ask that you would draw a cornerstone into deep, deep community one with another. That God, our best friends, our best relationships, the people we can depend on the most are people we found here. That we find brothers and sisters who would carry our burden and we would carry theirs. That we have people who love us enough to say the hard thing and that we love enough to risk our friendship to say the hard thing to them because we'd rather them be mad at us than run their life off a cliff. And that God, we would freely share what Jesus has already taught us so that Christians coming behind us would get to where we got even faster than we did. God, help us to other one another. In Jesus' precious name, amen.